Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This episode, it's the music of Bob Dylan. I'm Dan, and I once attended a romantic candlelit dinner with Jeff where we feasted on animal organs. I'm Jeff, and I counted every bowel movement I took in the year 2008. I'm Jimmy, and I watch TV for a living. The best part of the bowel movement story is that we had a party to celebrate number 100 oh that's right yeah, I, I forgot so. about that i think I it was there. the hundredth i don't know how far into the year it was and the culmination of the party was you creating the 100th oh. then unscrewing the toilet seat autographing it and hanging it on your wall i did do that i believe because it was one of those puffy toilet seats that are just disgusting yeah. to own and we needed a new one yeah so it was we retired the seat and there was a piece of paper thumbtack to the wall and every time I, I took one i tally mark tally mark and people would mess with it but i knew yeah this podcast is not generally this revolting but um no but we we did have a very expensive and beautiful dinner together yes full of awful organ meat and if you want to you can review us on uh itunes stitcher spotify uh we will read it on the show this would be the moment where we would read it and um if you want to send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com or tweet us tweet at us at talkmeinto uh we will read it on the show so uh do it So every episode, we like to tell you guys what we're talking ourselves into. It's it's a little thing that we don't have an hour's worth to talk about, but it's just little things that we're talking ourselves into. It's little things in life. Yeah. Or, you know, the, I'm trying to talk myself into getting eight hours of sleep a night, <laughs> just like being a normal adult. Yeah. I think it's finally time that I need to, and I've been doing, I've been going to bed nine or 10 o'clock at night, waking up at six or six 30. And maybe for the last week, I got to tell you, I still feel like absolute garbage at all times while I'm awake. That's interesting because I'm actually working a uh, second shift now. So I don't get into work until uh, it was three, but now it's five. But I get home around like two o'clock. But now I don't even set an alarm. I just wake up whenever I want. And it is the most healthy way. That's to sleep. the best. Yeah, I was unemployed really for six months <laughs> and went, no, like it was yeah. the greatest time of my life. Yeah. Because when you do it, you I was like, really good. I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And then you wake up when you wake up and you feel so alive, even mm -hmm. if it's five hours, if it's 10 hours, it does. The hours didn't even matter. It's what my body needed. And it was lovely. Exactly. See, it concerns me that you say you're getting eight hours of sleep and you still feel like trash because that's how I felt when I was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea. <laughs> oh, so you might uh -oh. want to keep an eye on that. Okay. Because I was dying a little each night. In all seriousness. No, no, like multiple times an hour I was stopping breathing and gasping for air to wake myself up. So you should ask your wife if you snore. I do. 
Oh boy. Not like you. You are Oh yeah. You true. are another type of human, <laughs> sir. But um Yeah. Keep an eye on that. Thanks. What are you talking yourself into, Dan? I've been talking myself into hankies. <laughs> <laughs> Handkerchiefs. Uh I'm a bit of a I don't know what you would call it, like a an old fashioned yeah. homebody. And I'm a bit an- anachronistic. I think that I would do quite well in the uh, early 20th century. You're very old school. Yeah. And uh, I'm coming down with a cold, as you may hear in my voice this episode. And I thought I'm really sick of burning through tissues all the time or being somewhere and not having a tissue. So I went to my local Walmart, you know, family run establishment. Yeah, the Walton's great. Yeah. Great and family. I picked up a package of linen or fabric. I don't know what they're made out of. Handkerchiefs. I'm holding one right now. Full Imagine. of boogies. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's loaded. It's moist to so the touch. you're not just carrying them around as a backup for when you run out of tissues or like in an emergency. This is your sole nose blowing. Yeah. No. So, so what was your idea of getting a hanky instead of tissues? Well, I do have tissues and I am using tissues when they're convenient to me. Okay. Uh, I have a box of tissues in my bedroom, my living room, at my desk at work, but primarily what i noticed the biggest problem was driving okay when you're in I the keep car a stack of napkins in my glove car. i hate that whenever i get napkins throw the extras in there and i always have something to blow my nose well in. i don't always do drive through or take out anymore so i used to do the same thing but i'm out of them and i just find it to be messy in a car so now mm-hmm. i just compared to a messy in your pocket just carrying around your books who cares <laughs> i keep them in my back pocket you know, it's like and so. Like if you blow your nose into one, you put it in your back pocket, and then you sit down and it squishes. Yeah, against, <laughs> against my butt. Like who cares? Butt it's, boogies. It's not like it's going against my face or my mouth or anything. Until the next time you use it, then I, use I a understand clean area. why hankies existed when hankies needed to exist. We've moved on that as a society. Well, here's the interesting thing about handkerchiefs. Everything that you're saying may be true. It may be a gross thing, but somehow. Society has also given them a pass and said they're classy. I don't know how this happened, but for a man to carry a handkerchief and be able to present it to a woman crying in the rain Mm. is one of the classiest things you can do. A a gooey folded mess. Well, I think there's a bit of an art to the fold. I haven't really looked into it a lot, but I know personally just from using them for about a week, um, I will fold it into i think like eight squares i'll fold it like into eight basically and i try to remember and isolate each square for each use so i'm not rubbing boogies all over my face it's there jeff but let me have this victory please. there's actually a product that is being sold why can't you celebrate the fact that when i need to blow my nose i can at all times talk me into it that's why we have sleeves dan (laughs) i'm not trying to talk you into handkerchiefs i just want you to be happy for me i am there's a product that's being sold for $80 for one used tissue. What? That it, it, it comes with bacteria already on it because it's supposed to introduce you to it. it it's fake. It's n- I don't like this it's idea. Like, it's a real thing, <laughs> but it doesn't work. But I'm just letting you know because we're talking about blowing your nose into bullets. I got a six-pack of handkerchiefs for $3, and I will stand firm with that. You do you, man. Jimmy, what are you talking yourself into? I am talking myself into the Artist City in Color. I don't know if you guys have heard of them or not. I've heard of the name, but I don't know anything about them. I've heard of the name, but I don't know anything about them. Well, I've heard of the name, and I've listened to uh, an album or two of them. 
and um, I'm really liking them. Uh, my friend Steph have, has been trying to get me to listen to uh, her albums a lot. Uh, it's actually only one guy. This da- this guy named uh, Dallas Green. That's why the the. Why won't he just go by Dallas Green? Oh, uh, City and Color. There you go. Ah, you got it now. I get it. I got it too. Okay. Um, what genre is it? It's like singer songwriter. Uh, sad. Oh yeah. Sad stuff. Um, that's I, like a big thing nowadays with singer songwriters. They have like a name, even though it's just one person. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. But like, um, he's been around for a while. She's been trying to get me into it a while. Yeah. Uh, but she got me an album uh, for Christmas. Actually, no, for my birthday on vinyl. So I've been listening to it, and it's pretty good. So I might start listening to some more of their stuff. Hmm. What What's the instrumentation? Is it like solo, or does he do like more There's some production? acoustic stuff. Yeah, there's always um, – depends on the albums. I think the album that I have, there's some like acoustic, some with like drum and bass and stuff like that. Because I know you and I are both into Father John Misty, and he's definitely yeah, like a same, solo same guy. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got like a full band on his albums. It's only him – uh i think on the the actual recordings but i think he does travel with the band occasionally yeah that may be the same with father john misty too because i know he's a multi-instrumentalist yeah so yeah i'm talking myself into it Hmm. might have to give that a listen at some point yeah Hmm. so i told you guys at the end of the last episode that I wanted to try talking you two. That's Jeff and Jimmy. That's me and you, Jimmy. Mm, yeah, oh yeah. And the listeners. And the listeners, you guys. Into Girls. the musical stylings of one Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I was about, I don't know, like 14 years old. When, no, younger than that. I think I was in like eighth grade, so like 13 years old maybe, uh, when I started listening to Bob Dylan. You must have been, like, the flyest kid at school. Uh, I was the loseriest kid in school. Everybody was like, L-I-M-P, Biscuit is right here. And you're like, eh. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. I walked around doing an impression of Bob Dylan. (laughs) That literally is what you were like still. No, but I did have a Bob Dylan t-shirt when I was 13 that didn't have any words on it. It was just a black and white picture of Bob Dylan. And someone literally asked me if it was a T-shirt of my grandpa. <laughs> and fast forward 10 years, you got the same T-shirt with a crisp white on it, and you dropped chicken gel frazy on it. Yeah. And you stained yeah. it yellow. I could like never was, wore it again. Like he was crying curry. Yeah. So I don't actually remember. Oh, I do remember why I started listening to Bob Dylan. It just came back to me. I was a huge Beatles fan, which mm-hmm. I had gotten into from my dad and my uncle. And... One of the things that I was doing to get further into the Beatles was watching the Beatles anthology series of Laserdiscs. Oh, yeah. We watched those. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I watched them, which it's like a 10-hour documentary. Oh. Jeff's, Jeff's loving this as a huge Oh, Beatles don't worry. Hater. We'll get there. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Any hoozle. Um, they talk a lot about... Um, the effect of Bob Dylan on the music of the Beatles Mm. and how at the time of Revolver and Rubber Soul, they were exploring uh, psychoactive drugs, maybe, uh, and the music of Bob Dylan and how it was poetic and transformative and had a great effect on them. So I said, I'm 13 years old. It's time for me to learn about myself and the history of mankind and explore the (laughs) inner workings of my mind. So I started listening. So you dropped acid. Yeah. (laughs) No, I do what everyone does. I, I, I went to FYE, 
in the mall. For your entertainment. And I picked up uh, one of those generic Time Life Greatest Hits albums. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the ultimate Bob Dylan or something yeah. like that. Um, and then through that and uh, the birth of Napster, I was able to start growing uh, my comprehension of Bob Dylan um, if you don't know a lot about Bob Dylan, which seems pretty difficult, even if you don't like him, he's pretty well-known culturally at this point. He was born in May of 1941. He is still alive, age 77. His real name is Robert Zimmerman. Um, he's from the Midwest, I think Minnesota. Um, he rose to prominence after coming to New York City and uh, becoming sort of uh, a mainstay of the Greenwich Village folk revival scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but there was an original folk music phenomenon that dates back to, I mean, the 18th century. It's the natural progression of external traditional music styles that came to America and evolved and sort of mixed with other genres and things like that. And it is the music of the folk, quote. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that sort of died out and became wiped away by the emergence of big band and swing music in the 1920s and crooners and Hollywood music and things like that that was popular at that time of day. And there was a revival around... Uh, 50s? Yeah, I would say the mid to late 1950s. There's some artists that predate that, but... Um, well, one thing I'll say, because it does sort of tie into the musical lineage of Bob Dylan, is that uh, the end of that original folk wave, uh, one of the most popular artists was Woody Guthrie, who was a Midwesterner who traveled the country, basically performing with very simple instrumentation, very simple songs. Um, he was involved in workers' rights and a lot of the labor movements of the time. He was known for carrying a guitar that said, this machine kills fascists. Mm. He was an outspoken progressive and some would say communist. But anyways, he also wrote This Land is Your Land and a lot of other songs that people still sing today. Uh, they're traditionals. So one of his sort of disciples brought on what a lot of people consider to be the beginning of the second wave of folk um, his name is Pete Seeger. He was in a group called the Weavers. Um, and the Weavers were extremely popular. And like I said, almost single-handedly uf- ushered in this folk revival that took the country by storm until they were blacklisted by the McCarthy movement. Oh, no, not the McCarthy movement. It's yeah. a witch hunt. So Pete Seeger was blacklisted and... Um, basically went from performing at Carnegie Carnegie Hall to like local bars and things like that. But he dove back into um, his roots, the roots of Woody Guthrie and the labor movement. And he became sort of a, what was called at the time a topical singer or a protest singer. And the reason why I bring this up is because this is the environment that Bob Dylan came, came to rise up in. He made his way to New York city from Minnesota he actually visited Woody Guthrie in person as he was dying in a sort of, depending on the account, an insane asylum or an old folks home, but he was very much destitute and alone. And 
Bob Dylan visited him, and there was sort of a Robert Johnson crossroads-type moment where there was a passing of the guard and a bestowing mm-hmm. of musical... I mean, this is all... This is all mythology, but yeah, yeah. it's all folklore. Exactly. But it's very important to the mystique of Bob Dylan that he met with Woody Guthrie and that he was sort of, again, like further baptized by Pete Seeger. And so Bob Dylan rose up as the next generation of topical protest singers, or that's how he was regarded. So uh, Bob Dylan's first album came out in 1962. It's the self-titled Bob Dylan. It was released on Columbia Records. And it tanked. Uh, Estimates that I've heard say that it sold roughly 2,000 copies or one copy per store that it was carried in across the country. Jeez. Uh, He was signed to, at the time, this was common, a three-album deal, but uh, Columbia Records was not thrilled with that prospect because it sold so poorly. But um, what Dylan has said in retrospect is that he did not really understand what it took to make a hit album or why, in fact, he was recording at all. Folk music was a live music. It was meant to be performed in front of people. So he basically did not want to give away any of the highlights of his live act. That's what he has said in hindsight. Mm. So he recorded some of his lesser songs, and it's not a surprise that the album did not do well. Mm. Um, but anyways, I don't want to get too microscopic with this, but... As his career progressed through his first three to four albums, uh, Dylan began experimenting more into his own songwriting. His early albums were made mostly of covers um, that he, you know, reworked and rearranged as was common for the time. But he began writing songs because, as he said, there were songs and ideas that he wanted to sing that hadn't been written, so he felt that he had to. Um and that brings us to the first album that I asked you guys to listen to, which is The Times They Are a Change In. Uh, it's sort of, for me, the culmination, the peak of this protest singer time period. It's very stark and bare bones. It's pre- predominantly vocals, acoustic guitar, and harmonica. And it's his first song of all originals. Um, it was recorded in, it was released in 1964. Um, And from that point on is where you start to see the change in Dylan, where he starts to turn away from this voice of a generation moniker, this topical singer guy, and everyone expects him to be a leader of the civil rights union uh, movement. But he sees himself as an artist and a poet, so he sort of turns his back on that. I mean, he's still involved in helping positive causes, but lyrically his songs turn away from that, and... By the time he hits another side of Bob Dylan, his next album, which is in the same year. Yes, people used to release multiple albums a year, as crazy (laughs) as that is. uh, He is definitely far more introspective than he was prior and starts to transition by 1965 with Bringing It All Back Home and Highway 61 Revisited into electric music, which totally disenfranchises his fans. (laughs) And pisses off the entire world that wanted to pigeonhole him into being an acoustic folk singer. Mm. Um, But he has more to say. So he goes on with that. Um, We get to Blonde on Blonde from 1966, which was recorded um, with Nashville country session musicians 
but is more in tune with an electric Chicago blues type album. Uh, I asked you guys to listen to that. Um, I think it's really representative of the pinnacle of his electric period to me. His songs are starting to explore new regions, not just lyrically, but also musically. Um, He's experimenting with the structure of songs, and I just think he's really reached his culmination um, as far as that early electric blues-based music. Um, He continues on and has some slight deviations with um, self-portrait and Nashville skyline, which harken towards a more traditional country sound. He even, like, implements sort of a different manner of singing that takes people by surprise. Hmm. Um, And I'm not going to go album by album here. There's there's a kind of a big jump, but then I asked you to um, listen to Blood on the Tracks from 1975, which was originally recorded in New York city, but then he basically wanted to scrap the entire album after it was done. He didn't like the renditions of the songs. So he recut the entire album in Minneapolis and they eventually settled on taking five songs from the first New York cuts and five of the recuts. But this is, um, this is Dylan's divorce album. He was getting divorced at the time. And to me, this is the height of, what I would consider his next big time period, which is full-blown rock star Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. He's no longer trying to fit into a genre. He's doing whatever comes naturally. He's at the height of his gifts as a singer, which are not great. (laughs) Like vocally, he's not known as a beautiful singer, but his talent and power were at their height here. I think this is his best performance album. I think his, songwriting is super strong it's very introspective and takes a really harsh look not just at his situation and where he finds himself you know falling out of love with his wife and the problems that he's had but it looks harshly at himself and what he did to contribute to the downfall of that relationship so the reason why sorry if that was too granular (laughs) no it's fine but the reason why i wanted to talk you guys into bob dylan is because he is important for me because he changes he is a chameleon and he is a true artist because he's always growing and looking to reach farther than he is currently reaching he's looking at the horizon and that's what i respect in a musician or an artist um he the interesting thing about being a bob dylan fan because i did not grow up with him i'm not of that generation i didn't get to watch his evolution in real time so I can listen to things out of context and you can feel his growth and change, how it's important to him to change and it's reflected in your own growth and change. So there's been times in my life, the reason why I chose these three albums is there's been times when I need to hear protest singer Bob Dylan mm-hmm. talking about injustice and struggle and and writing wrongs and things like that and and that's the most integral Bob Dylan for me and then there's times when I want to hear the rollicking blues riffs and the all over the place exploration of blonde on blonde and just um, the way that it seemed like the world was wide open and he could do whatever he wanted Uh, that's the Bob Dylan that I need and then there's other times in my life 
when I look back on those and I say, how could I have ever thought that was the most important Bob Dylan? It was so limiting or so out there. And I would need to experience the introspective poetry of Blood on the Tracks and uh, the charismatic vocals and the sprawling choruses. And I just think that he stands apart from even the most respected musicians and musical acts because he can be so many things to so many different people. So I think that Jimmy could be talked into Bob Dylan because he has experience listening to people who were influenced by Bob Dylan. He is a Beatles yeah, fan. Yeah. And you know the historical importance of Bob Dylan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and I think you can respect the musicianship and the artistry. I'm a little concerned with your opinion on his vocal stylings as someone who appreciates yeah. vocalists and, and stuff like that. The reason why I'm trying to talk Jeff into it is because Jeff grew up listening to punk rock music like me, and there are moments in Dylan's career where he is like punk rock before punk rock. Not only the typical things that you would expect, like, you know, singing about, again, civil rights and labor struggles, something like that. You know, people are going to make that connection. But to me, to get on stage at the Newport Folk Festival, one year after he had just headlined the thing as a basically straightforward topical folk singer, Mm -hmm. the following year... He shows up with the Butterfield Blues Band, which is like the most crazy, out-of-control, loud, electric blues band from Chicago. And he gets on stage and plays three fully electric, distorted songs. And the crowd goes insane, booing him (laughs) and almost rioting. Pete Seeger, the man who passed the baton to Bob Dylan as the next herald of the folk movement, is running around backstage looking for an axe to try to cut through the sound wires and destroy the system. Oh, jeez. And they literally have to try to beg him to come out and play a couple acoustic songs so the crowd doesn't riot. That's punk rock. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So uh, the most impressive thing about this is that the last 10 minutes Dan has been talking, he has not read one word. This is just directly from his heart. The only thing I'm looking at is a list of albums just so I can get years. Yeah. So uh, why don't you just sit back a little bit and see if Jimmy and I – are talked into Bob Dylan and if we destroyed your little heart or not. <laughs> yeah, so when we come back, we're going to be talking about the times they are changing Blonde on Blonde and Blood on the Tracks. And although there's not really anything such thing as spoilers for music that is 50, 60 years old. You should probably listen to it. Yeah, why don't you take a break and listen to those albums? It's a quick couple listens. And uh, come back and hear what Jeff and Jimmy thought of it and if I talked them into it. Jimmy. Yes, Jeff. Why don't you tell me and Dan and the listeners your exposure to Bob Dylan or these three albums before before this episode? So I've listened to a little bit of Bob Dylan with Dan. uh, As listeners may know that we are cousins. As you do. When you're with me, you hear Bob Dylan. Yes. Uh, So a a few few car trips, we've we've listened to uh, Dylan... um, You've heard me comment about his voice a couple of times because I was a singer in high school, um, and uh, that's just something that I listen for. Um, I own Blood on the Tracks on vinyl because you gave it to me. because yes. <laughs> Because Dan I doubled. bought a new version of the album. I double-dipped. Yeah, so I've had that. I've listened to it a couple of times, and um, before that, 
it was really nothing. I I, I kind of knew the name. I've I've heard a few songs like um from the Watchmen movie. There's the times are they are changing in that montage in the beginning. I actually talked about that in a project that I worked on in college. Yeah. Um. So I haven't had a lot of exposure, but from what I've heard, I've really liked. Um. But I've just never taken that step and listened to like a full album or a few albums. Right. So you've had like the normal yeah pop like culture. The, the times there are changing. I've I've heard um knocking on heaven's door stuff like that. Yeah. So what about you, Jeff? It's pretty much the same. I mean, I've I've given some greatest hits albums some listens and mm-hmm. listened through Dan <laughs> over the years. And um like Dan said, he he touched on everything. He should have just spoke for me. I was gonna bring up the punk rock <laughs> aspect of it and like going electric and all that. Um yeah, just like he said, um there are times in my life when that stuff really hit true and I was listening to it, but I was never, I'm not like a super fan. I don't own any albums. Mm-hmm. I don't usually listen to it on Spotify or whatever, but you know, uh, he's got, um, we're looking at a list of albums. There's 30 or so. They're still coming out. Um, yeah. Um, some of them are good. Some of them I've heard aren't uh, a lot of the later stuff. Some of his Christmas albums are more comedy <laughs> than <laughs> actually pleasurable, but yeah, that's my exposure. So, why don't we sort of break this into three sections um, with each section being one of the albums? Okay. I'm assuming you guys listen to them in somewhat chronological order yes. or, or at least separately enough that you can differentiate. Yeah. Um, I listen to them in their entirety, front to back, either at work or driving, and then I put them all on shuffle just to kind of get a... Yeah, for the the man himself yeah so I, I don't have like a track by track breakdown i have a track listing here that we can kind of bounce around on but um the times they are changing you know i talked about what dylan was up to in his life at that time and yeah in his musical genre um so what did you guys think I mean, did you have any thoughts going into it? How much did you know about this album or this time period? My first time listening to it, I wasn't impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like the the idea of this stripped down musician just singing his songs, praising his praises. Um, the second go around, after I've already listened to all three of them, I actually liked it the best out of all of them. Mm. What about you, Jeff? Do you have any thoughts going into it, or I mean, I I know I know the times they are changing. I know some of the classic protest songs, like "Me and You Met," and we started the band right after nine eleven, protesting the political era of that time. Yeah, and you could hearken back at you know it's almost twenty years ago now, but twenty thirty years before that, it's the same problems that the same people people were facing. Uh, maybe not identical but there's a lot of correlation to people of our age at that time to people of the age when this came out yeah so i i that's pretty much what i knew going into it so like a couple of the standout tracks on this album are obviously the title track being the first one the times they are changing i think everyone knows that song just culturally yeah it's, it's a good song i it's really important. like it um it's been covered by a million people yeah um with god on our side is one um that I always think of with this album. To me, that's different um, from a lot of the protest songs of the time because With God on Our Side is a song where he's sort of taking a step back and looking at the hypocrisy of just war in general 
and the American viewpoint of whether we're right or not. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very Tolstoyan. Yeah. Is that nice? Um, and then, like, Only Upon in Their Game is one of my favorite Dylan tracks. This is one that goes even deeper into that idea of hypocrisy. And um, just as a song, too, it's good. It's a really good. Like, I love the rhythm. Yeah. And the, the guitar and... Um, so there's actually I like the sayings. I like the beats. <laughs> um, that is I like about North Country Blues. North just, Country Blues. Yeah, that's just, a classic one. Like that was music, good. Musically, yeah. is yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing to talk about too, because not every song on here is a protest song. No, mm-hmm. he's also talking about you know. There's a lot of traditional aspects of um, life and love and things like that. Um, uh, what was I going to say? The um, only upon in their game. Is about the murder of Medgar Evers, and I think it's kind of like ballsy that um, the the place where he actually debuted that song was uh, at a um, like a labor strike that was connected with primarily African American workers. So to choose that as your venue to reveal a song that basically says, "Hey, don't be mad at the guy who murdered Medgar Evers, who was the head of the NAACP at the time. Don't be mad at him." Be mad at the whole institution. It's mm. super easy to, you know, attack the gunman because obviously he committed the crime. But um, he was basically saying that the poor white are used as much in this system to keep, you know, black people down. And we're all being played and victimized. Um, and then it goes on with boots. I like how he follows it up immediately with boots of Spanish leather, which which is just like a traditional romantic like love ballad. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and the rest of the album is strong. When the ship's when the ship comes in, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll and restless farewell. Um, so after listening to it and giving it a chance, um, what did you guys think, Jimmy? You said that it grew on you. Yeah, it it, it grew on me the the second time I listened to it. Um, just because I thought it was, I just like the, the stripped down, this is, it's literally just him and a guitar and yeah, harmonica. Just presenting. Yeah. Just, uh, just telling his, telling his stuff. Um, and just songs in general too. I, I thought they were a little bit more catchy than some of the other stuff on the other albums. I mean, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I thought, um, I thought it was good. And what do you, what about you, Jeff? Oh, it's definitely good, but I'm really glad that you brought up how there's an album for certain parts of your life yeah, or certain moods you're in, because I'm just not in a protesting mood right now. Yeah. Kind of like worn out on that yeah. over the last eight, yeah. 17, 18 years. Um, like, you know, we were in protest bands and... Yeah, but 16-year-old Jeff would have eaten this up. 16-year-old Jeff would have because 16-year-old <laughs> Jeff was like, oh, F war, yeah. I mean, I still am, but like... Protest songs don't do much except for make the listener feel good. Well, let me ask um, you. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So the album's good. I enjoy it, but it's not some. It's not like I'm not going to put it on and just rock out while driving home. It's something that like if I'm in a mood or just like really mm-hmm. angry at something, I, you can relate to it. 55 years later, you're talking about in, institutionalized racism. That's what this whole next election cycle is going to be. They're, they're already dropping it. Yeah. Everyone's going to be talking about institutional racism. It's the two hottest words you're going to hear over the next two years. Yeah. And it's still sadly super relevant. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Jimmy talked about um, 
the musical content and Jeff talked more lyrical content because those are at this period in um, what Dylan was doing. Those are like, I don't want to say juxtaposed, but they're sort of like two prominent sides of the coin. So what he was doing musically was as stark and like harsh as what he was doing lyrically. Yeah. So I think that's, um, I don't know, kind of a cool way to think of that album is like, was he using the lyrics to push forward this type of music, this like, I'm going to strip it down to its most basic form and present ideas? Or was he using the music to present his political ideas? I think it was the latter at yeah, this point. Probably. At this point in time, I think it was the latter. <clears throat> so if you were a fan of him in 1964, I would agree with you. But I think as we segue into Blonde on Blonde, what his fans came to realize is that unlike many of the topical singers of the day, he may not have been using the music as a way to present ideas. Maybe he was always a musician Mm. first. Yeah, I could see that. So Blonde on Blonde, um, like I mentioned before, was released in 1966. It's a big, fat double album. Um, It's long. It's like an hour and 20-something minutes. Yeah. What did you guys know about this album before going into it? Uh, Nothing. I knew several songs on it, but that's it. I didn't know that they were on this album. I just happened Mm -hmm. to know the songs. You didn't have any conception of this album title or the importance of it? I don't know what the album title meant. I don't know anything. Before listening to it as an album, didn't know anything. How about you, Jim? Uh, I didn't know anything about it. I've heard of it. Uh, I've never really oh, listened yeah, to I've it. I've heard it's like one of his popular ones. Yeah. That's all I know. And um, so I, I wasn't too familiar with it. Um, but um, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. I mean, um, so listening to this, um, I actually had to Google when he went electric because mm-hmm. I didn't know the year because mm-hmm. I just listened to times they are changing from 64 and this came out in 66 and it goes from that stripped down nothing to like a freaking bop like like, uh and he went electric in 65 yeah uh so that's the turning point and Mm -hmm. like this is just straight up blues like you you mentioned chicago like that's exactly what i felt i've i mean I, i haven't gone many times but when I'm in Chicago, I've gone to a few blues bars and it like felt like you're there. It felt like a live performance. Um, just oh, in the moment. that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just felt like they were having a great time recording that. There's a lot of musicianship in, in this album. It's interesting that you say that because there's a lot of stories from behind the scenes of recording this album. Uh, just to give you like a, a brief like rundown, like, uh, Dylan had a touring band from the time he basically went electric in like 65 um, that all those members, except for a couple switch outs, went on to become known as the, the band. band. Yeah. yeah. That moved in with him and recorded the basement tapes and then they recorded their own albums that were very successful. Anyway, his original idea was to record Blonde on Blonde using the band. Mm-hmm. But when he got into the studio... It worked. It sounded good, but it didn't capture it to him. Sounded too much like his previous couple albums. Mm. Um, he wanted to shake things up, and I don't know if he went into it knowing that he wanted to do it this way. But he, what he ended up ended up coming up with was 
taking himself and I believe just Robbie Robertson, who plays lead guitar in the band, mm-hmm. maybe the organ player too, I, I don't remember, but limited members of the band to Nashville to record with seasoned country music um, recording uh, musicians. Mm. So it's interesting that he recorded this blues album with all these country guys who had been playing with like Chet Atkins and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's it's more than blues. It even feels like a New Orleans like treme band or yeah, like there's definitely some Dixie stuff, yeah, especially in the Dixie, first song. Like, yeah, um, Rainy Day Woman number twelve and thirty five, which is ironic because I did not get into this album for a long time because I don't like that album that that song that much, and it's what leads off the album. That's the song that I know most. Yeah, yeah I mean, me it's, before I was it's it. popular like culturally, but um, and he's just he's like singing and laughing during it. You could tell it was just yeah, I love one that. Take. Yeah, there's some it's, interesting it's stories really too. These older seasoned country um country record guys kind of were like who the hell is this young kid who's never done country music like telling us to play yeah because they're roll? like i mean they were more corporate yeah like that the country dudes they just they had a studio you went in you bought like the time they cut band, a record basically. they don't care get yeah. out here's yeah. your record but um no i think it's really crazy like what jeff was saying how much he evolved in such a short period of time between 64 the times they are changing to 66 He's a different guy. Because at this time, was this style, this blues, like, mainstream? I know that people knew it, but was it for white kids from New York to play? No, I don't think so. And I'll go further and say that, um, like, I don't want to downplay the importance of bringing it all back home and Highway 61 Revisited. If you listen to those two, there are moments where it's even heavier, more heavily influenced by by the blues by Chicago electric blues. Cause he was playing with some of the guys from the Butterfield blues band, which are a Chicago electric okay. blues band, okay. the highway 61 or the blonde on blonde stuff to me is interesting because it's Dylan writing in that genre, but using these country musicians. So there is like moments on, um, uh, like stuck inside a mobile with Memphis blues again, uh, visions of Joanna. Some of these moments do feel country to me. Yeah, I would say especially Visions of Joanna. Except the length. These songs are long. long. To, yeah. For that time, like a lot of songs were shorter back then. They had to fit it on a Pop record. songs, yeah. 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 And they wanted radio play. They didn't want a 11-minute <laughs> ballad. Yeah, so uh, I would say that uh, the times they are changing is probably not regarded as maybe the best representation of that time period by most people. I chose it because to me it's the culmination like writing wise, especially lyrically and the fact that he wrote all the songs on it. Uh, a lot of people are going to point to the freewheel and Bob Dylan or another side of Bob Dylan. But I will say that out of this chunk of albums, like bringing it all back home, highway 61 revisited blonde on blonde, blonde on blonde usually is regarded by fans and critics as the most important of this chunk of albums. Mm. And, um, I think it's because it sets a tone and it stands like it's like a book. It's like a piece. It's in and of itself. You can start that album, listen to it all the way through, and it feels like one story. It feels like it's it's telling one idea. I don't know. Yeah, if it's that almost makes like sense. a concept album, a little on it's, a very vague yeah, level. Lyrically, it's not, but the it's so tight in its uh, like themes and fe- and feeling and emotions and musically that 
it stands apart as a piece. But after listening to it, I don't know, you guys listened to it probably a couple times. Yeah, like twice. I'm assuming you got a, a little times. bit into the lyrics and stuff. What What did you guys think? Uh, you go, Jeff. I liked. I didn't dig too deep into the lyrics for any of these because it was like forty songs, and I try to listen to them as many as possible. Yeah. But um, I thought of the three, this was my favorite to listen to mm. by far. Just just musically, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, on my first listen to, I liked it the best. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, uh, I was I was just into the first album more, maybe because I know more songs on that album. Um, but I've only heard a few things on this one and every song that I listened to, I liked a lot, but there's nothing that like blew me away, but I thought as an album, as a whole, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting cause there's not really traditional like singles on this. Um, he released, um, the biggest charter was as Jeff mentioned, rainy day woman, number 12 and 35 that got to number two on billboard hot 100. But other than that, um, Every other single was I Want You reach number 16 in the UK. But uh, in America, the other singles never broke number 20 was the highest they got. So it's not a radio album. It's It harkens back to the time period where you would sit and listen to a whole album and mm-hmm. feel the feels. Yeah. Um, but I know it's like a huge fan of a lot of musicians. I actually uh, have a recording of the contemporary like bluegrass folk country band old crow medicine show they actually did a live show where they performed every song on the album in order and recorded it oh nice so it's like it's a beloved album yeah but uh i don't know do you guys have any other thoughts or do you want to move on to blood on blood on the tracks we can move on so Blood on the Tracks, which was released in 1975, is generally regarded as Bob Dylan's divorce album. He was in the process of divorcing his wife, Sarah. Um, and obviously, like as you listen to the album and you get to know the lyrics, not just the lyrics, but also the tone of the songs and the mood and like the sort of sometimes angry and embittered nature of the songs, it becomes, it seems to bear a correlation to his own personal life and that was sort of backed up by his son Jacob Dylan who a lot of people know went on to become the singer of the band The Wallflowers Mm. when he was asked in an interview about it he basically I don't have the exact quote in front of me but he acknowledged that um, when he listened to the album oh here's the quote when I'm listening to Blood on the Tracks that's about my parents so a lot of people took it to be confessional and that seemed to be born out in Jacob Dylan's opinion. Um, so I chose this album for you guys to listen to because I think it um, sort of, for me, uh, I don't want to get too negative, but it's sort of the beginning of the end of this classic time period of Bob Dylan stuff because after this uh, and the basement tapes, which were basically just like, bootlegs and stuff that he'd recorded with the band while they were living together uh he records desire and street legal which are not earth-shattering albums they're fine but they didn't do that well commercially or critically and then he converts to christianity which yeah which was a big change Mm. (laughs) for the time i think he was brought up jewish but not really practicing in anything 
And then he releases Slow Train Coming, Saved, and Shot of Love, which are all are flooded with Christian symbolism. And at this time period, he refused, for the beginning part of that time period, he refused to play any of his secular back catalog, which is another thing that fans loved him for at the time. Oh, I'm sure. But so Blood on the Tracks, to me, is sort of... Uh, his last big hurrah with live rollicking electric rock and roll music and his time with the band. Um, so what did you guys think? What did you know about Blood on the Tracks beforehand? The name. <laughs> I, I think you knew more than that. I didn't. Because the film The Big Lebowski opens up with the song The Man and Me from Blood on the Tracks. Okay. Well, I guess I knew it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I, I knew it like we talked about. The, you gave me that album a while ago, and you told me this is basically Bob Dylan's worst day ever. Yeah. Um, just, it, was, it was my worst day listening to it because I did not care for it. You oh, didn't care for it at all? Nope. I, it, it's my weakest of the three. Wow. I'm I, surprised. I liked it. I thought for sure you guys were going to say this was your so favorite. So maybe had I known what it was about, I would have paid more attention to the lyrics. I would have actually sat there and like focused. But – musically it was fine there were a couple songs that like that stood out but overall Mm -hmm. it was it bored me it was long-winded wow i frequently check to see how far into the song i was because i don't remember when it started and i'd be like five minutes into an eight minute song i'm like i'm good let me go to the next one yeah and then i saw like another seven minute song i'm like oh i'll give it two minutes i tried three times i could not get into it at all I, I'm basically in the same boat as Jeff. Um, th- there were some songs I was like, oh, that was interesting. But after like eight minutes, I'm just like, oh, this someone needs to tell this dude's songs are like three minutes long. Oh, no. And looking at this list of records and knowing that he gets worse, it's uh, that's rough. If this is like his last big hurrah. Uh, well, I mean, let me let me say that he did record a ton of albums after the Christian period. Uh, his 80s stuff is not regarded too highly, but when he comes back in 1993 with World Gone Wrong and 1997 with Time Out of Mind, those were like Grammy award-winning albums, and people mm. think that his stuff from the late 90s and early 2000s... Like second coming. Right. Like, I'm not crazy about it. I don't like the tone of his voice in the latter part of his life, but... um Love and Theft, Time Out of Mind, people regard those as some of his best albums. Even Tempest from 2012 is a big critical darling. I'm surprised you guys felt this way. I remember the first time I listened. This is one of the later albums that I actually got into, Dylan. For some reason, I just didn't give it a chance initially. But um, I had known Tangled Up in Blue from like a Greatest Hits album. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a three-song chunk on the first half of the album you're a big girl now idiot wind and you're gonna make me lonesome when you go that are scathing like this is like the meanest i've ever heard like a musician like that wasn't like doing a hip-hop diss track Mm -hmm. if you read those lyrics and listen to that he is like tearing this person down and i don't think he's just attacking his wife at the time i think he's a lot of the blame he puts on himself but he's being real harsh and critical yeah i liked idiot wind i, I like that one a lot actually yeah um that, that was probably one of the the top songs on that album but yeah just you gotta go with i mean obviously you listen to music for music's sake you don't necessarily listen to music because it's like it's culturally relevant and stuff like that like if i were to listen to bob dylan it 
there there's only a few songs that I'm like, oh yeah, I would put that like on a playlist. Mm. Um, See that right there is a problem for me just having a Bob Dylan playlist because to me he's so like rooted in the album and the story and the feeling mm-hmm. of each album. I don't know, maybe it's just too deep for me to to enjoy it. Like mm. Bob Dylan always come off as just like a little too pompous and a little too full of himself. That's always kind of pushed me away from him. Yeah. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, overall, are you are. Well, I mean, we what's, can get there the if you question? guys don't have any more thoughts on this yeah, album. Yeah, I don't have much else to say. So you guys have listened to the albums. We've, yes. We've talked about them in the context of what was going on in the world yes. and his life. Mm-hmm. And you you hear what I have to say. And yes. I know this is hard to to say someone who has all these albums to have you judge him by these three. Yeah. But what I'm really asking is if you're willing to take a leap of faith and listen to more Bob Dylan – and the way I'm going to ask that is I'm going to say Jeff and Jimmy. Did I talk you into Bob Dylan? How about you say it at the same time? Okay. And then we'll get into reasoning. One, two, three. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah, you did it. So I did it. I didn't know we were doing uh, the same time. My answer was going to be a soft yes. Because why? While- same here. While, like, Blonde on Blonde has me wanting to listen to more, Blood on the Tracks, and knowing that there's a 20-year decline of albums ahead of them, doesn't have me pumped. But I do want to explore more of those early albums and more of those later albums. Middling albums, you mean? I don't think you want to get in. Oh, you're going to check out like Time Out of Mind and Love yeah. and Theft stuff. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not asking you to listen to every Bob Dylan album. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to give a chance to more Bob Dylan. Yeah, albums. and I, I mean, I came into this with uh, no strong opinions. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've heard plenty of Bob Dylan. But, uh, yeah, you talked me into it. So I guess um, before we go on to Jimmy and more of his specifics, you had said that um, you liked some of the stuff you heard. You didn't like other things. But Bob Dylan was never an artist that you were going to switch on Spotify in your car on a long car ride. Would you consider doing that now? Yes. Okay. I consider that a success. Jimmy, you said yes as well. Yes. How would you like to contextualize that yes? I am basically in the same boat as Jeff. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about listening to some other stuff uh, further down the the, the line. Um, there, there was a lot of stuff that I did really like, and maybe I just didn't. I'm a little nervous that I didn't go into it with enough background. Maybe I'll give some of these albums a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, just for the listener's sake, we had talked about um, trying to watch the 2005 documentary, No Direction Home by Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, it became difficult to track that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, within our time frame. It's, yeah. Within our it's time frame. Accessible. But, you know, I. I directed you guys to do some reading on Dylan's life, but I think that you'll find that if you're able to contextualize some of his music and put it in the time period and what was going on in the world and in his life, you'll even have a greater uh, appreciation for how revolutionary some of his stuff was. I did see that documentary about 13 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I did see Inside Lewin Davis. And that's probably why you have the impression of why it was a big deal when he went electric. Because that's a big focal point of that documentary. Well, and it's just culturally significant, like yeah, Dylan mm-hmm. going electric. Like you know when Superman died, even if you don't read comics. Yeah, 
Yeah, so uh, I'm at least interested in giving him a chance. Um, I'm going to put a few more albums on Spotify and um, put it on whenever it'll come on. So Yeah, so I would encourage you to do some more reading, and if you want to know my recommendations, I will gladly put them up there. Listeners, if you have questions or want any more recommendations or me to point you in a direction of any interesting articles or documentaries about Bob Dylan, please feel free to tweet at us or email us. Um, Jimmy, a little bird told me that you are going to be trying to talk Jeff and I into something on the next episode. Oh, yeah, I am. Uh-oh. So uh, I'm actually a little bit excited about this one because... Uh, then I really hope this is our first no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. I just want you to be It'll be soul-crushing. That'll be so great. So uh, I am uh, obviously a little bit younger than Dan and Jeff. So I I grew up with the realm of YouTube. and um, I could buy alcohol when YouTube came out. That's true. Jeff and I grew up in the world of Microsoft Paint. (laughs) Minesweeper. So uh, obviously there are different shows, different series on YouTube, different genres. Um I want to talk Dan and Jeff into the YouTube uh, show Game Grumps, which are uh, these two guys, they they joke while playing video games, and it's very much just based down to that. And uh, you two have played video games before. I'm sure you've had fun times doing it. Some have joked as yes. well. And you guys have joked as well. Yeah. Um, Gucci, that's what I know about YouTube. Um <laughs> So on the next episode, you're going to be talking us in and the listeners into uh, Game Grumps. Yes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be telling them, uh, I'm going to be giving them a playlist of uh, specific videos that I want them to watch, uh, different things like uh, there's a whole animated episode. Um, there's a few episodes of a series I like of Super Mario Sunshine. Um, and then another show that they do called 10 Minute Power Hour where they just goof off and do funny things for... Uh, these specific times now this is going to be interesting dan because this is i mean this is only going to be the third topic we're touching on but yeah i don't know what this is I, i've <laughs> never heard of it like i know yeah, video yeah. games and i'm familiar with a few words that you just spoke but this is going to be a really big test of this we're podcast going in blind we're bird yeah. boxing it we i'm excited no for idea. this yeah so jimmy once you create this playlist um will you be able to i will tweet it out Okay, you'll tweet it yes. from our Twitter account. Um, It'll be the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the linked tweet at the top of the thing. Why don't oh, we the also pinned tweet, I believe it's called? Yeah, pinned tweet, sorry. We will also um, post it in the show notes of this episode Yes, and the following Game Grumps episode because we want the listeners to watch along with us. Yes. So from there, I'd like to direct all the listeners to uh, make sure you like us on Facebook and then follow us on Twitter at TalkMeInto. That's where you can find the link for the pot, for the playlist. Sorry about that. And if you feel so inclined, you can send us an email at uh, TalkMeInto at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on whatever you, you listen to us on, which is uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all that fun stuff. And rate and review us so that we can listen talk about it on the show and you can find me at son of a fitch on twitter and instagram s-o-n-n-a-b-a-f-i-t-c-h jeff where can we find you you can find me on instagram at large hard on collider I mostly post pictures of food that i make or don't make but i eat 
in any case. You can also find me on Twitter at Jeff27. That's Jeff with five Fs, where in one day I will tweet scathing opinions on Republicans and then make a poop joke two hours later. <laughs> Uh, and my name's Dan. You can find me on Twitter at Danny underscore Breakdown and read my film reviews on Letterboxd under the name Danny Breakdown. I promise I will not be talking about Bob Dylan this much. Thanks for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? When the shadowy sun sets on the one who fired the gun? New, what are the new heroes books? A series of talk me into young it. adult fiction talk me books into about superheroes. Talk me into oh, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read them, but I remember you were really into them. <laughs>